Hmm. What about Eight-Legged Kitten? Eight-Legged Kitten, what are you doing there, Mark? Oh, hey, Kelly. Fancy meeting you here. I'm just trying to come up with a replacement title for the 13th movie in the James Bond franchise that doesn't sound obscene. Ah, that is a good idea. What about Octopus with a Y at the end? Nah, too cumbersome. How about blue-ringed anatomical euphemistic pun? You think that's less cumbersome than octopus with a Y at the end? You're right. You're right. Oh, I've got it. Octokitty. We keep the double consonant diminutive ending, but with much less graphic imagery. Perfect. So, are we ready to do this thing? I think so. All right, then, everybody. Grab your whistle-controlled knockout gas. And your razor yo-yo of death. And join us as we discuss James Bond here in the books. And there in the movies. Octo. Wait, seriously? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I love it. They got away with it. They got away with it. (laughs) Uh, okay, so we'll start with a synopsis of the book, and this is the uh, collection of four short stories-ish that uh, Ian Fleming did. These are his last, uh, the, basically the last installments in the, the fiction of James Bond, and I think some of them were actually, I think this was published posthumously after he died, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the synopsis. The last collection of James Bond adventures from Ian Fleming, Octopussy and the Living Daylights, features four tales of intrigue that push 007 to the limit and find the secret agent questioning where he can go from there. In Octokitty, a former operative in the Second World War must face the consequences of past sins when James Bond knocks on the door of his Caribbean fortress. And in the property of a lady, Bond deciphers the elaborate codes of a Sotheby's bidding war in order to catch a KGB agent. 007 in New York takes Bond to the titular city to warn an ex-agent of her boyfriend's secret KGB affiliation, And finally, The Living Daylights sends Bond to Berlin to protect a British agent before an assassin strikes. Published posthumously, I should have read my own uh, script here, Octopussy and The Living Daylights marks Ian Fleming's final contribution to the legacy of his iconic creation, 007 James Bond. So, shall we start with with Octokitty, the first first book that was in the series? My book has the... 007 in New York is the fourth story. So yeah, it, same. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so this, uh, I, I kind of like the story. We see it through the eyes of uh, Dexter Smythe rather than James Bond. James Bond kind of comes in at the end. Uh, and it's a little bit of a, of just a little vignette of this, this uh, guy who had, you know, created this sin of, of uh, murdering a man to steal the, what was it KGB gold? It said, uh, yeah was it russian or no it was it was it was was, yeah german it was nazi gold so he steals the nazi gold um and he ends up having to kill this you know kind of more benign character who helped him scale the mountain um and lugs this gold like down the mountain it was it was kind of a nice almost adventure story when he goes back and tells about how he got the gold out of the country Mm -hmm. um but then james bond tracks him down and uh and kind of makes him pay for the crime because and here's the best part of the story. Uh, the, uh, the, he's not a Sherpa. What was it? Was he a ski, a ski instructor who was, who was helping the guy get the gold and then ended up getting killed was mm-hmm. kind of like a father figure to James Bond. And so this was a nice roundabout way to get some 
kind of personal information about the James Bond character without it being so overt that uh, that it kind of breaks down, you know, his this veneer of of his, you know, what would you call it, like a brick veneer of of James Bond? Yeah, yeah, just the coldness and the hardness of his character that we always see. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. I really like the story. Um, I I think you said. <clears throat> Mark, in a previous episode that Fleming's writing is at its best when he's describing Jamaica and all the stories that take place there. And I think that's so true. Like he he describes the scenery and the fish and everything so beautifully. And um, you just, like sometimes it's hard harder, I should say, for me to get into the stories that where Bond sort of flits in and out. But this one, I, I felt it, it was very easy for me to stay invested in it. And I don't know if it was just the the tautness of the storytelling or just because Dexter Smythe was a was it kind of an interesting character I don't know what it was exactly but I just I've really enjoyed this and the the part at the end with the octopus was was I mean I it kind of gave me the the chills it was really creepy agreed you you mentioned the tautness of the story there's really great suspense he sets up because he he tells the story a little bit uh non-chronologically so we see at the beginning, we see Smythe in the ocean. He has kind of made it a habit to go and feed these animals. He's living a comfortable life, you know, living off of this gold he collected. And uh, one of the animals is an octopus. He wants to see if the octopus will eat one of the deadly, was it angelfish? Scorpionfish. Uh, scorpionfish. And so he's doing that. But then as he's doing it, he's thinking back to this meeting with James Bond, knowing that he's been caught and discovered. And James Bond has kind of let him uh, have some time to think about about what's about to happen because he's about to be arrested. But as a reader, we know he's most likely not going to be arrested. He's going to die somehow. Mm-hmm. And so you don't know, is it going to be James Bond killing him and actually assassinating him? Is it going to be him killing himself or is it, is it going to be an accident? And so kind of that, you know, we know he's not going to jail. And so this whole story, like, oh, my gosh, is it going to be the octopus or the scorpion fish or Bond or wh- what's going to happen? kind of keeps you guessing till the end yeah for sure and and i don't i loved something about this i mean it was obviously not as um not as tense of a scene at all but it it gave me throwback vibes to dr no the novel with the with the giant squid and all of those horrifying tests of the human will that, that bond had to fight his way through just the you know when when Smythe was down there and he he felt the 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 blood was coming out of his lip and he was like oh, I should have taken my mask off and then he felt the suckers slowly <laughs> and I was like oh god you know it, it really gets you yeah the, and throughout the whole franchise the movies and the book there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of octopus imagery because the mm-hmm. one of the symbols of Spectre was the octopus we saw that come back in the Daniel Craig books. And then it just shoots me back to uh, to the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean franchise too, with uh, with Davy Jones and all the tentacles off his face. Yeah. yeah. So. Did you? I. Nice. I. Um, I one last thing I was gonna. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that I think this is, I assume, where they was it Spectre or Skyfall, where they had. Um, where what's his name? Christoph Waltz plays. He's he's Oberhauser's son, right? And he's 
and that's why I think that's where that comes from because there was reference in that movie to Oberhauser, who was this kind of father figure to Bond, and it talked about uh, skiing in the Alps and okay. everything, and that's why he was so obsessed with destroying Bond was because his father liked him better. Liked oh him better, you know? yes, you are correct. Which is funny because that's what I was about to say. Uh, less correctly and less astutely was that reminded me the Oberhauser reminded me more of uh, Albert Finney's character, Kincaid in Skyfall, who was the one with the shotgun helping him defend the house. And I thought, Oh, is that where they got the name was, was that Oberhauser, but it was, it was Kincaid. Um, So, yeah. So I I like that they drew from this story kind of in both those regards of including these father figures uh, and tying it back in. It's it's an interesting and sort of random little bit to pluck from this from this story that just yeah. kind of gets muddled in with all the others, but it's pretty cool. And I, I like that about the Daniel Craig stuff is that they went back and tried to tell a little bit of the backstory. Uh, in Casino Royale, you have her kind of uh, what was her name? Ah, crap, I forget. Vesper. Vesper. Yeah, you have her kind of guessing that he was, you know. Ha- that he, you know, I'm guessing his history and all of the elements there and, and find out she was correct. So cool. Got it. We've got a, we've got a comment here on our live feed. Um, Sarah wants to know, do we take suggestions on books to review? I think we should take some suggestions. Yeah. yeah. Why not? There. Yeah. Sure. What you got? <laughs> Sorry. Um, what you got? Man, I felt like there was something else. Because we, we were we, we were considering Stephen King for the next run. Oh yeah, and classic books. We we're doing a lot of stuff, so yeah, this mm-hmm. would be a good time to to mention. This will be one of the. This will be our penultimate episode of James Bond. We're going to do a little uh, roundup of the movies we we haven't reviewed because they haven't had books that were direct representation. So mm-hmm. after that, we are kind of uh, we're kind of spitballing right now. What, what the next series should be or if we should do some one-offs with some classic books like No Country for Old Men. I see a suggestion from uh, my friend Matthew. Uh, that would be great too. I love me some... Uh, McCarthy? What, what's his yeah, name? Yeah, love me some Cormac McCarthy. Yeah, yeah. Because there'd be a lot of depression. But we could do The Road. <laughs> Don't you dare yeah, make me read we, The Road, Mark. Don't you dare. Yeah, we, we, have done, we have done The Road and I forced them to watch this. Okay, so... Uh, so shall we move on to the next story? Sure. Which is the property of a lady. So in so the movie Octopussy, just to give a little bit of preview, uh, does draw from this as well as the the uh, the titular story. So property of a lady is is where we get the Fabergé egg, and that was always my favorite part of the movie too. I don't know why. I love how um, I just love that the kind of history of of Russia and the and the czars commissioning all of this stuff. Um, but it, it seemed a little bit um, anticlimactic. I thought uh, so too. There's no, there's no gotcha with the, with the, with Bond capturing the bad guy. It's just the story. I mean, the basic premise is they go to an auction to see who's betting on the Fabergé egg. Um, they kind of explain the economics of trying to drive the bid up and how they're using it. Basically money laundering, uh, you know, through, through the Fabergé egg and, and selling it to this, this woman who you wouldn't normally, who wouldn't normally have it. It's kind of suspicious. And so, you know, they tag the guy and Bond kind of drives to where to, he goes back to his embassy and that's the end of the story. 
you know, Bond basically says he's going to be in trouble now. And that's it. So, but it was interesting. And I, I like the intrigue with, with the opulent Fabergé stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I definitely felt that same, not quite disappointment, but kind of disappointment at the end. Cause it, it almost literally is like, I thought, and I hoped that he was going to do this. And he did in the end. <laughs> well, we think we think we want hyper realistic stories sometimes, and we really don't, right? We're really programmed to the you know the Joseph Campbell journey of the hero. Right. You, you know, you want to face off against the nemesis and and come back. And uh, you know, I can tell Fleming was trying to do that, and like, here's how it really works sometimes. And but we don't want to see how it really works sometimes. We want to see the most exciting possible outcome. Right. So. And- and, you know, I'm being so hypocritical right now because in all the other ba- past books, we're like, oh, what? They, they fell into the pool of sharks? That would never happen. Like, All right. Shall we move on to The Living Daylights? Sure. Uh, so this story is where we get the cello, which I really like. Uh, I really like in the movie. Uh it's it's kind of a, it gets a little bit meta because James Bond is is staking out um, a spot to assassinate the assassin. They're trying to help um, one of the good guys escape um, across the border, and so he's Bond is going to be giving him cover um, and trying to take out the other sniper before the bad sniper kills the good guy. And so um, we come to find out he he kind of has this one sided love affair with the cello player because the the orchestra is playing. Uh, the, over the three nights that they're there, the orchestra is, is going in and out of the building across the street. And um, this is in Berlin, correct? I think so. East and West Berlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, they're they're playing a concert and he, he falls in love with this cello player just seeing her through his scope. And of course, she ends up being the assassin and, you know, the cello case really had the gun inside of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he ends up not taking uh, the kill shot uh, because you know of his, you know, weird affection for her, and so the guy at the end that was that was Bond's partner in the stakeout, you know, says I'll have to report it. Um, it kind of basically ends there. Yeah, and and I like the the little line too that worked in the title. It's like I didn't kill her, but I scared the living daylights <laughs> out of her, and that was enough. <laughs> That's one of the best uh, Family Guy jokes is the when the movies do that because they do it in the in the Timothy Dalton movie which we're about to review. But mm-hmm. at one point he's like, you know, it was a little bit ham-handed when he when in the movie. Yeah, um, it didn't feel quite as ham-handed in the story, I guess, because no, there wasn't somebody actually saying it. And you kind of expect it in in literature and like chapters chapter titles you expect to see them and then it's okay but for some reason in movies it just uh it's just over the top but i i say it was meta because james bond is reading a thriller novel as he's like biding the hours because it's only going to happen at nighttime they don't know which of the three nights it's going to happen of course it's the third uh so he's you know he's reading this thriller novel and it ratcheting up the tension and his partner is a little bit of a kind of more buttoned up Mm. uh stiff personality so they're kind of clashing there as well and and then and it does this is a satisfying story because it does end in this you know splash of gunfire and and they have to escape so it it was a nice story 
Yeah, I I enjoyed it a lot. Um, it's another one of those that explores James Bond's distaste for killing in cold blood. Um, he he refers to it. You'd think somebody like him would just think that okay, this is part of the job, but he refers to it when he's talking to Captain Cinder as a murder. And mm-hmm. you know, at, at one point, as the tension is ratcheting up, the the captain is visibly nervous, and he's like, "Oh, what kind of?" They they finally see the gun of the enemy sniper emerging from the window, and Captain Cinder is like, "What kind of gun is it?" And Bond is like, "You know." shut up, you're not the one who has to commit a murder here. It's me, <laughs> I should be nervous, not you. And it's you can see him really getting uh, nervous. Um, and then with, the, with his whole fantasy romance that he dreams up with this cellist, it's sort of interesting and, and rare. It's not unheard of. I mean, you, you get glimpses of it throughout the books way more, way more so than you do in the movies about him feeling pangs of genuine affection for women. And he's on, he's kind of, a, a secret romantic at times. Um, so I, I kind of liked that about the story. And yeah, that he didn't actually meet her. Right. I thought they were going to, I thought they were going to just find their way to each other somehow, particularly on his, you know, cause he, the missions were going on at nighttime and during the day he sort of walked around the city and bought some books and all that kind of stuff. So I thought they were going to at some point meet somehow and, you know, in a bondy fashion, he was going to sweep her off her feet and she was going to fall in love, but she never met him. Right. And I kind of like that. Yeah. Like he could have, he could have easily developed this into a, the full length novel, but I kind of like leaving it this way. And it, it highlights more of the tragic nature of his character. You know, we like to, we like to fantasize about him, you know, being him and, and doing all of these, these things, having all these adventures but it really is lonely. It, it leads to, you know, you having to fantasize about this girl that you're just seeing through the scope of a gun because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, your job is so tense and so lonely and so solitary. Um, and you don't always end up, you know, with these beautiful women. Uh, and even when you do, it's usually more of an empty, you know, empty relationship or short-lived, mm-hmm. sometimes literally short-lived because the women around him die so frequently. Yeah. All right. One more thing I, I wanted to bring up. I, I meant to bring it up at the beginning and I forgot. Um, I listened to the audio copy of this and it was read by Tom Hiddleston and it was mm. fantastic. I don't I don't honestly know him from all that much. I mean, I know he plays Loki in the Thor movies and like a handful of a smattering of other things. I think he played Hank Williams um, in, a, in a biopic, but um, I know he's a really, I know he was somebody that people were clamoring to be the new Bond um, when they were trying to pick the next one, uh, I don't know where where that stands. If it, I, well, is it going to be a woman? Did I, is that or was that just something that they're tossing around? Charles would know more. I know there's been talk about Idris Elba too, which I'm I would oh, yeah. be super on board with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like I'd like him to be it. I haven't heard the woman thing. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I've I've heard that. So I guess it's not. I guess <laughs> Jane it wasn't. Bond. Yeah, Joanna Bond. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, he, it was awesome. If anybody out there listening to this is inspired to check out the book, if you're, if you like audiobooks, this, I mean, it, it just, I mean, I was enthralled by the whole performance. He did, he did it so well. So nice. strongly recommend. I, had, I hadn't heard about that rumor of, of him being wanted for it. Maybe he's auditioning. A, yeah, maybe. Choice. Cool. All right. And last but not least, the super short story, 007 in New York. 
Uh, this is like only what four pages, four or five pages long, maybe six. It's like fourteen minutes of audio. Yeah, uh, this is a weird. This is kind of a weird story because it's really not even a story. I don't think. Yeah, uh, it's really just him spending some time in New York as he's getting ready for a rendezvous um, with the was a female agent. Yeah, or is she just a contact? She was a a former British like a, a staffer or something like that. And she was oh, involved right, right. with the KGB person who was undercover and, and she didn't know that he was associated with the KGB. And so they're yeah. trying to warn her. So he's trying to warn her. They're supposed to meet at the reptile house at the central park zoo. And so there's even a recipe for scrambled eggs in here for some reason from Felix lighter, yeah. which if you read the recipe, it sounds kind of gross to me. It's just basically a bunch of butter in scrambled eggs and you you keep them slightly softer than you would normally eat them and then pour a bunch of butter over them but anyway right. uh, and then it just it ends up that there's a bunch of awkward phone calls because there's no reptile house at the central park zoo so he's not really he's not able to meet up with her and have a rendezvous overnight it's just going to be a quick meeting and and uh with tears of tears and threats of suicide from the English girl. And it was all New York's fault. One can hardly credit the deficiency, but there is no reptile house at the central park zoo. So it was just weird. It was like a, it was like not even a James Bond story. It was more of like a almost humorous, more like a raw doll story or something like that with this weird twist at the end. Yeah, it, it was very bizarre. I, I don't fully understand why it was included in this. It just seems like something that, that maybe could be published I mean, I, don't, yeah. I guess I don't know how else I expect them to do it, but it it, it wasn't. Yeah, they had they had to fill this out. <laughs> if you're looking on the video, if you're watching our video, not just audio, it's a pretty thin book. So I think they just needed something to put in there. Maybe it was such a such an unexpected burn of New York. And I felt like that was the point of it was to kind of highlight James Bond's uh, love of of uh, queen and country and sort of being snobby about America and New York uh, and how they yeah don't. I think you may be all, you may also be able to read into it a little bit of um, reaction reactionary type thing where he's kind of seeing how the world is going now because New York you know America kind of took the reins in terms of culture in the world and this is kind of where things are going and he's more like you said a romantic and more of a more traditional and so it could be some you could read some fittingness into like the because it's the last thing Fleming ever published on about James Bond so mm-hmm. kind of kind of a strange strange last piece but also you could read nostalgia into it as well true it <laughs> it made me chuckle all the parts where he was like you know oh nobody knows how to eat or buy food in America and they're too hygienic and they're afraid to buy fresh things at the market because they think that they might go bad, but that's what's wrong with the world today. Like, and then he started talking about how after he cozied up to his uh, New York lady friend and she would only kiss him for a certain amount of time. And then she had to disappear to the bathroom for half an hour to yeah do who knows what. And I don't, yeah, it was very, I, it made me laugh, but also I was kind of raising my eyebrows while I was listening to it. Like, what? What is this? And also, in in a post COVID nineteen world, it's like, heck yeah, we're hygienic and we want our markets to be clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No like, three day old fish heads for you, yeah, James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. Okay, well, if that's all we have to say about the short stories, we will take a quick break from our sponsor, and we'll be back to talk about James Bond in the movies. 
This episode brought to you by Fleming Brand Assorted Venoms, Poison, and Toxins. Why use a gun for your assassinations when nature's already done half the work for you? For the low price of two Vaberge eggs, you can select from any of the Fleming Brand Assorted Venoms, Poisons, and Toxins we offer. Black Widow Venom. Blue Ringed Octopus Poison. Cat Scratch Fever. Elephantitis Juice. King Cobra Extract. Honey Badger Blood. That's right, Fleming Brown assorted venoms, poisons, and toxins are the cure for what ails you. Fleming Brand, products for you. And now back to the program. All right. Thank you from uh, from Fem- Fleming Brand for sticking with us all these episodes too. Um, it's pretty cool. Products so, for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now let's do uh, Kelly. Do you want to do the synopses of the of the movie since I did all the the book ones? I don't want to sure. steal your thunder. <laughs> sure. Um, okay. So here is a synopsis of Octo Kitty. A fake Fabergé egg and a fellow agent's death lead James Bond to uncover an international jewel smuggling operation headed by the mysterious Octopussy, being used to disguise a nuclear attack on NATO forces. Bond hits an all-time high. Roger Moore is Ian Fleming's James Bond 007 in Octopussy. more in his newest and most thrilling of the James Bond adventures, filling the screen with excitement. In the tradition of the great James Bond films, Octopussy has everything, elegant palaces and beautiful women. Good morning. Good morning, sir. My Bond. I believe you have a reservation for me. We've been expecting you, sir. I'm Octopussy. And you are James Bond, 007 license to kill. Am I to be your target for tonight? is Bond at his best, hitting an all-time high in Octopussy. Step on it! The Bond that tops them all.
Monster Pussy, racing across the screen with thrills and excitement. Roger Moore in his newest James Bond adventure, hitting an all-time high in Octopussy. So back to back to uh, Kelly's favorite James Bond, Roger Moore, in yes. uh, a great movie. This is probably my second favorite Roger Moore film. I I still love Man with the Golden Gun. This is this is a pretty fun one for Mark. me. And Kelly's shaking her head. No. I mean, well, what are our options? Right, Live and Let Die. <laughs> Live and Let Die. Uh, a View to a Kill. <laughs> Live and Let uh, Die you know, which... is one of the best Roger Moore ones. Are you kidding me? I don't know. Uh, okay, so. Uh-oh. So this one, I think it's top marks for like more of a feminist approach. Uh, you know, Octopus herself is this really successful smuggler. Um, she's a strong character. She's kind of uh, raised all of these women, both circus performers and also super bad A, I don't know, like they when they storm the thing at the end, it's like, oh, they're also, uh, they're also like Navy SEALs too. <laughs> but uh and so just in terms of, of what it borrows from the books, uh, I, I like how they drew in the storyline. So in, instead of instead of Major Smythe, it's Major Smythe's daughter mm-hmm. um, is is Octopussy. And she is, we, we don't, like, so her father, uh, James Bond allowed her father to commit suicide. And I think she was actually thankful for that, right? So Bond says, are you going to kill me because of it? She says, no, you you gave him a way out. Um, and he didn't have to rot in a jail or he didn't have to be court-martialed or, or, or even killed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's where that comes in, which I thought was pretty cool. And then, of course, the Fabergé egg is, is where the money came from, from the property of a lady. Uh, you know, we've kind of talked before about how some of the plot points and twists get a little confusing in these movies. And mm-hmm. I had a little bit of trouble keeping up with the money and who's, you know, with, with Kamal Khan was the other bad guy and Orlov. I'm like, okay, who are the alliances is who's really on bond side, but it all sorted out in the end. It made sense. Yeah, I, I agree. And you probably already know every single thing I'm about to say about this movie. Um, but I, I mean, this is no secret. Yeah. Mark's teasing me. Roger Moore is my least favorite bond. Um, and it's not that I hate him. I just think I don't. I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, I I'm usually not above a cheese factor on something, but his little one-liners they just get me. I mean, I do laugh a lot while watching his Bond movies. Where there's something to be said for that. Um, I just I feel like there are so many more LOL moments. I like okay. So um, when Bond is driving in that little open air. Um, Oh my gosh, I don't even know what the word would be. But that little streetcar thing. <laughs> and uh, he's like, don't worry, it's a company car. And they do a <laughs> ride through the streets of this bazaar. <laughs> well, and then, so here's how uncultured I am. I didn't know who VJ was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, super famous tennis player. And I just learned this like two days ago as I was looking up IMDb trivia on the movie. I always thought his name was BJ and that it was like another euphemistic nickname for these characters. And so um, I was completely off base with that. But at the time I didn't know it when I was watching that scene when they're driving through the through the streets, I'm like, why is he using a tennis racket? This is so dumb. 
And then later I realized, oh, he's a famous tennis player. Okay, I got it. But even even so, it was it was pretty uh pretty cheesy. It was, and, and there, there were like tennis there were like tennis sound effects as he was <laughs> as he was doing it over their heads and stuff. Yes, and oh my gosh, speaking of VJ, when he when they were playing uh, backgammon or or baccarat or whatever they were playing in the in the casino, and he took the de- like Bond. <laughs> there's this moment where um, Bond realizes that Khan is using loaded dice to win, and so he kind of tricks him into giving him the dice somehow. And so Bond wins and BJ picks up the loaded dice and he's just holds them in his hand like this. It just squeezes <laughs> them until they turn to dust and crumple down onto the table. And it's just this hilariously dramatic moment. Yeah. And they crack up. I remember that moment being, so the, the reason I like Roger Moore is because, you know, I came, I came to these movies when I was like 13 years old. Uh, and so these were like the perfect, I was like the target audience for the, for, for the Roger Moore movies at the time that I watched them with all this silliness. Uh, but looking back, I like, I remember that scene being super dramatic and looking back, it was really like seeing it again. It was really kind of stupid. They just zoom in on his eyes and it's like, nobody's, <laughs> I know, that's not what happens to die soon. You crush them. But anyway. And, and uh, why was he the one that was so upset? Like Khan was just like, you stormed out of there, but VJ was like, no. Well, that wasn't. I think you're getting confused with the two characters. VJ oh, was James I? Bond's, uh, like right hand man. Oh, I'm, you're I'm thinking about tr- the 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 evil henchman, but yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. <clears throat> but dude, that was that was <laughs> pretty dramatic. Yeah, it's it just just funny. So, so what I liked about VJ is because they, you know, spoilers coming up. They they kill him off, and he was a really he was kind of a really endearing character in this movie and and it's one of the few times well that's that's not true at all but it's one of the few times i've felt for one of bonds uh you know the ladies around him die all the time which we've mentioned but also his you know his partners as he's as he's making alliances you know felix Leiter gets run through the ringer and, and a lot of his contacts end up dying as a result this is one of the few times i really felt bad um, cause he was so, he was so nice, kind of so innocent and funny and, and nice comedic relief. And then when he dies, that it kind of sets the, it sets a little more serious tone even for a Roger Moore movie. Yeah, that that's true. That I will say that's, that's true. Even if he was killed by a giant yo-yo of death, <laughs> a giant razor <laughs> yo-yo of death, which is also <laughs> way over the top and not, not a weapon anybody has ever used in any, maybe it is, maybe, I don't know, maybe. Maybe in castles, zooming it down. If you haven't seen the movie, it's like these two circular saw blades on a yo-yo type steel line and slashes it down and up. But that guy guy actually broke his arm when he landed on Octokitty's bed. In that scene where Bond pulls him down, he broke his arm and kept filming the scene. So kudos to that guy. That's art right there. Dedication, my friend. So what did you think? Okay, so did you notice that Maude Adams... Uh, who plays Octo Kitty was also one of the the Scaramanga's uh, girlfriends. No, I didn't. Yeah, know so that. she's like she plays two different characters in in two different Roger Moore Bond movies, which I found really interesting. That is interesting. I did not put that together. Wow. Yeah. Maybe if we didn't go thirteen months in between episodes, I would remember <laughs> that. I mean, I've we never don't. done that. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
<laughs> you'd think we would have noticed because we just watched the men with the golden gun last month. Well, and on that note, uh, did we, you and I were talking earlier, Mark, did we ever post the last episode? No, we have not posted the men so, with the golden gun yet. So, <laughs> so they'll actually, really we just did it. But this that makes it an even longer gap between that one and the previous one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, show does. Okay. Uh, so the only other thing I'd written down here was, uh, yes, there is a nuke, right? But then mm-hmm. also, I liked the plane scene uh, where Roger Moore is legit, like, just hanging on to the biplane as it's zooming through. Or the, that's not a biplane. It's a, I think it's a jet. That's a jet. I can't remember. But he's, like, yeah, holding know. on. And it, they, you know, they filmed. You could tell they filmed it. You could tell he was wearing a parachute. The stuntman was wearing a parachute, obviously. But uh, it still was pretty cool and kind of tense. She's trying to get in the the plane. Yeah, I mean, I despite the cheese factor, I mean, I, Roger Moore. I feel like he's got some good action scenes in his movies. I just, I, I wish that some of the action, and this is not specific to Roger Moore, is like a a flaw, I guess you could say, uh, in my opinion, of of just about all these older Bond movies. Um, is that I feel like they could be at least 30 or 40 minutes shorter. And I we've talked mm-hmm. about that before, but I, I definitely, and it's only because of my prejudice towards Roger Moore, but his movies always drag out a little extra for me. And so somewhere around two thirds of the way in, there's always a drawn out chase sequence or... <laughs> the best boat chase ever filmed. <laughs> best <laughs> Sheriff Julius Pepper. <laughs> Uh, you are right though you are right Uh, I I always get lost you know and then and you always if you zone out for a minute you miss something crucial you're like oh this is going on forever I'm just gonna look down at I'm gonna make a comment to who I'm watching with or I'm gonna look at my phone for a second and then you look up and they're like on a train and you're like how how in the world did they get here yeah it's probably one of the reasons it's easy to lose the thread sometimes because you yeah you tune out through those sequences yeah but I think they're, you know, I think they're trying to make them longer, you know, more fun action movies, people. But by today's standards, you know, if you're going to if you're going to make a movie close to two hours, it better be it better be tightly written and necessary. Yes, for sure. But I, I mean, that's one of the things I really appreciate about the Daniel Craig films is that they're just as long, um, mm-hmm. but I, I, they don't feel as long to me. Right. Because you're, it's just tighter storytelling or something. Yeah. The action's more effective. I'm not sure what it is, but yeah. yeah. So the last thing I wanted to say about this movie is, um, this sticks out to me as as being unique because I think the Bond girl, uh, this is one of the few instances where she really equals Bond um, in not I don't know power, also wit, control. Um, influence right she's she's wealthy and she's like a player she's one of the three players in 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 this movie in terms of like the the plot points of of the money moving around and all that she ends up being you know good at the end but i like that about this where it seems like they're on equal footing whereas Mm -hmm. most other ones it's it's more of the male fantasy you know damsel in distress uh not always but but she definitely i think is the most um powerful yeah, I, I yeah, I totally agree. She is she's a very cool character. Which makes it which makes for a nice like unique Bond movie mm-hmm. compared to all the others. Yeah, for sure. All right. We didn't even Good. talk about um 
what is her name? Oh my goodness, M- Magda. Is, that, yeah, is, we, that, is it Magda? The one that who is the associate of Khan, whom he meets at the he at the in the casino, and then they have dinner together, and then escapades. She reminded me of the spy who loved me actress, actually. Because um, okay, a lot yeah. of those scenes shot me back, and I forgot that we weren't about to go to the pyramids. Um, <laughs> but but anyway, what, what why like why do you mention her? I just that that little throwaway scene when he when they're um making whoopee and he sees the tattoo on her back and he's like what's this and she's like well that's my little octopusy and it's just like you you really had to just work that in there didn't you got to say it yeah so did did she did octavia the actual octopusy did she talk about the background of the octopus i thought she did but i don't re- I remembered it from watching it a long time ago, but I I don't remember seeing it in this movie. I that, I think she did when when he first came to her palace or whatever, and she had the the blue octopus in the tank. I think she said some kind of something about how her father loved octopuses or octopi or. And it, uh, I think it was his pet name for her, even right? Mm-hmm. Am I misremembering that? Okay. No, it it is yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, she she was in she was an interesting like patch character because we couldn't meet Octopussy too early, so they needed they needed Magda's character to kind of bridge the gap. But then it seemed kind of weird that he had slept with her and then later would sleep with Octavia. So I don't I don't know. Yeah, it, it was a it was a weird dynamic in terms of just the the plot line and storytelling. Yeah, it was for sure. All right. Well, should so, we should we talk about? Yeah, we can. I just found an image of the spy who loved me character on the video. See what I mean? They kind of have similar like. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and honestly, she kind of looks like the woman from the Living Daylights as well, to me. Yeah, I can see that. They're 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 like all forming a hybrid in my mind. Mm-hmm. Cool. So on that note, good transition into Living Daylights. Thank you. Um, James Bond is sent to investigate a KGB policy to kill all enemy spies and uncovers an arms deal that potentially has major global ramifications. The name that means excitement is back. Bond. James Bond. That girl must be very talented. Shoot up. Believe me, my interest in her is purely professional. What is this? I've had a few optional extras installed. Wherever he goes, adventure follows. Two of our men are dead. Koskoff's named you. Then I must die. Eliminate him. Kill him! for danger. He lives for the moment. He lives on the edge. Whoever she was, I must have scared the living daylights out of her. James Bond, 007, The Living Daylights.
And there we have The Living Daylights, the first Timothy Dalton movie uh, to move us out of the Roger Moore era, much to uh, much to Kelly's enjoyment and, and overt joy. Indeed. Uh, so, uh, yeah, man. Okay, so I, th- I think George Lazenby comes closest to the look of James Bond when I picture what he would look like. But mm-hmm. I think Timothy Dalton does the best personality in terms of like matching to the book. I really? think I, I think so because Sean Connery is still my favorite, but Sean Connery is so Sean Connery, you know, he's so iconic and unto himself that it's hard. I can't conflate the two. Whereas with Timothy Dalton, I can see him like, He's got more of the severe uh, personality traits of the Bond from the from the Ian Fleming novels. So I enjoyed this movie because I I enjoyed his performance, even though there were, there was you know weaknesses in the movie. But but I I like I don't know I liked him. What do you think, Kelly? That is really interesting. Do you so you like Timothy Dalton as far as it compares to the book, even over Daniel Craig? Yeah, Dan. I think I think Daniel Craig is too i think too gritty okay i think you lose like the romanticness the romantic thing you were talking about i think you lose some of the nostalgia i mean i love daniel craig as james bond i love casino royale and um and and the other two as well but uh but i just think timothy dalton gets that just from having read all the books and seeing his performance, I, I just think he, I think he matches it the best. That's, uh, uh, I, I would have liked to have seen him in like earlier films or later films or something like that. I feel because this, these films are so 1980s that, mm-hmm. that, that filter kind of kicks me out of it, you know, out of the, out of the book, out of the reality of the book. But what were you going to say? Sorry. I kind of talked over you. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I really, I like Timothy Dalton too. Um, I, it hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me that, he, but I mean, I, I agree now that you're saying that I, I agree with what you're saying about like the romantic aspect. And I mean, Daniel Craig just utterly nails the coldness of him, but, but I mean, you're right outside of his, outside of the first one, when we see him feeling romantic and lovelorn over Vesper, you do lose that in the rest of the film. So, yeah, I mean, and while Timothy Dalton does have that hardness to him, he, he has, I mean, there's like a softy romantic, but there's also kind of a cheekiness about him. Mm-hmm. That I find really entertaining because it's not cheesy, but it's just a little bit dimply and like a wink and a smile. Kind of yeah. Thing. There's a, there's a lot of like youth in his performance. A lot of the yeah. things he does, like, when he flops on the bed at the the opening sequence, he like lands in this this woman's yacht and flops on the bed. It's kind of like he's a like a teenage kid, but then he can also be really mature and and adult in other in other scenes. Mm-hmm. He's got that sly smile as well. Yeah, I I mean, and I think he's very handsome. I mean, he I think you're right. He does fit the look. Um, I and feeling all of those things. I wonder why they didn't have him do more because he mm-hmm. only did two i mean but outside of george lazenby he was the one who did the fewest so yep. i wonder if he just wasn't excited about the role or if they didn't like him for whatever reason um i don't yeah. know charles do you have any insider knowledge about that i know you're more of the i'm saying again i was watching the thing i think we looked we dropped some frames there what was the question the why why did timothy dalton only do two movies was there a reason they they moved away from him 
Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I know uh, it was the, I believe it was the longest gap between his movie and Pierce Brosnan's um, and uh, in GoldenEye, which is a 95 from like 89. So it was a six-year gap. And uh, I think he wanted to do another one. I think he did. Um, but I don't think uh, his approach, I don't think people really appreciated it at the time. That's and, unfortunate. And, uh, you know, I also think he was running, he was one of the ones that wanted to play it uh, whenever Sean Connery was leaving. I think he wanted to do it, if I remember right, even he would have been the next one, out, you know, you know, in, in place of Roger Moore. So that would have been interesting, I think, because you were mentioning it was, he's so, his movies are so 80s, if he had done Live and Let Die instead of Roger Moore, what would that have been like? Or if he had done it... Um, on Her Majesty's Secret Service instead of Lisenby, what would that have been like? I don't know. I kind of, I kind of do feel like Timothy Dalton was ahead of his time, and that's unfair yeah. for him. So, but yeah, I, I think there was. I don't know. I don't. I don't think uh, this one or uh, License to Kill did as well with him. So, I, I, that was part of the issue. Hmm. Yeah, because they. I mean, it seemed like they were gearing it toward a different audience. The Living Daylights was a much more, I think I already said mature, but it was like a much more mature film. There wasn't all this this cheeky stuff that Dick Kelly hates from from Roger Moore, which you know I enjoyed in this movie because it was kind of refreshing when they did do little humorous parts. Like, oh, that's really funny because it's comedic relief, right? It's, you know, it's giving us relief, and instead of Roger Moore, there's no need for relief because you never feel he's actually. Well, amazing. and the next one, License to Kill, I think was the first PG thirteen Bond. Um, as opposed to PG. Yeah, they were all PG up to that point, even Octopussy. Um, but the, it was the they, they got pretty intense. Like they're very eighties, but they're also very intense. Like the next one mm-hmm. gets pretty violent. So, hmm. yeah. Um, I one thing that did sort of make me chuckle um, when they when Bond is on the on the plane and they find the organ transplant container that's full of the 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 diamonds yeah the diamonds and the animal heart um did you notice that on the side instead of saying something like fragile or handle with care <laughs> yes say, handle like eggs yes <laughs> what i did okay. notice that I is that a russian that. thing i don't know handle like eggs uh like Fabergé eggs so i did i did also my my favorite uh joke was the the q's ghetto blaster it's like this guy with a boom box that turns into a rocket launcher <laughs> this old british guy they call it the ghetto blaster <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what um yeah um I was the the only other thing i had to mention was that you know timothy dalton really got his start with the movie sextet with may west oh <laughs> so man it comes full circle that little gem yeah i i didn't really i i don't know what to think about about his leading lady in this movie um they they departed from the way they wrote it in the book of course because they had to because it was a movie and it was much longer and they needed to throw some romance in there um but obviously instead of her being this professional KGB sniper who is on equal footing with with Bond, um, she they they play it like she's not really trained at all, and that was how he knew that she was 
not a sniper was because she was waving the gun all over the place and she didn't know right from left and, and whatnot. And so he lets her live because it's obvious that she's not, this is like not her, she, she was doing it because she was involved with um, the defector. And so, yeah, I don't know. She just wasn't, I mean, she wasn't one of the worst Bond girls, but she was kind of not inspiring at the same time. What did you think about her? I'd agree with that portrayal. I thought it was a creative way to take the the content from the from the short story and adapt mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, so I liked I liked the from the writing end of it, but in terms of the acting, I agree. She's kind of just vanilla, kind of. I mean, there there's there were no scenes that really allowed her to kind of pop off the screen or or make a make a stake for herself in, inside of this movie. Yeah, uh, but. But the other, the, one of the weaknesses or one of the problems I had with it was it was kind of, they didn't make, the director didn't make the plot, t- like the turning events very clear. Uh, like it kind of, I, I kind of had to catch up, keep catching up with who felt what about whom. Like when, when Timothy Dalton finally said he's, you know, the girlfriend of the defector, I was like, oh, and he's pretending just to be a friend and they're not really like, they're not really falling in love yet because she's remaining faithful to, to uh, what's his name? Uh, not Koskov. Was it Koskov? Koskov. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so then, then I, I got, I was like, Oh, okay. And then, and then we learned that Koskov was really a double agent and then he was really, you know, a bad guy like, Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. But then she was still kind of loyal to him and didn't believe it, but I, it was never quite clear uh, what any of the relationships were to me. Uh, Maybe I'm just daft, but but I don't think so. It was it was I think it was because they were being almost too subtle with this with this movie. Yeah. No, I I agree. I, I I thought that same exact thing. Um, yeah, and and I did not zone out of this one. I did not look away and then realize they were on a train five minutes later. Uh, I I was honed in, and I still yeah. It was hard to keep track of it. Makes me feel better. Yeah, makes me not feel so dumb. No. Uh, you talked about the movies being too long at times. This one, this one didn't have a nice. It had a nice climactic scene, but then it it took too long. I think for the for the denouement because they they were. Uh, we finally find out he's he's getting all this money and he's going to invest it basically in opium where he can turn a quick profit. Um, so he's he's basically trying to make extra interest off of this already like illegal money laundering scheme. And so they end up in this plane trying to trying to fly the opium out of the Middle East, and uh, and that's the major like fight scene where to, uh, Bond had planted a bomb and the plane's about to explode and he's fighting the the henchmen trying to get to the bomb so it doesn't explode because they were able to get the plane, and uh, that was all cool and great and it was a it was a nice tense scene. But then you had like another couple scenes and there was another like cleanup of the of Koskov and then you had you know the then you finally had the the performance at the end. So I feel like this could have been tidied up much quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Also points for the excellent and appropriate use of denouement. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you literary person. You. As an English teacher. Yes. You've got to know it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so no nuke in this one, right? It was just a it was C4 mm-hmm. bomb. Nope. Yep. Uh, so, and that, that was going to be my first comment too, was it's, it's hard it's hard with a, it's hard to follow a nuke storyline, right? 
because mm-hmm. in this one it's an arms deal that potentially has major global ramifications mm-hmm. uh it's like but yeah but you could have just thrown in a nuke and it would have made it better right <laughs> so anyway we need to um maybe maybe next time when we do our wrap-up episode we need to count out how many how many times a nuke was involved i don't think we ever yes so i think our homework should be i want to i want to kind of uh follow the thread with um uh what's his name the bad guy in the books and movies um blofeld blofeld and kind of see where was he like how do they handle that now that we've read all the books because in the movies we kind of we kept coming out at different at different mm-hmm. timelines so i want to see that and then we need to track the nukes and then and then do the extra movies so that'll okay. be fun cool maybe we can talk um next time too just briefly um now that we've read them all which one is our favorite favorite movie we've probably touched on it as we've gone along but this has been yeah. quite a journey and maybe it's things have changed good. i don't know so how would you rate how would you rate the because we normally do uh who did it better Mm-hmm. So with uh, it's kind of harder with the stories, but what do you think with with Octa Kitty? Um, <laughs> I think Book did it better. <laughs> agreed, agreed. <laughs> Even though I do enjoy in the in the world of Roger Moore movies, I enjoyed this one more. But mm-hmm. I agree. And then Living Daylights. I don't know. What do you What do you think? Who did it better, story or movie? I I don't know. That is a really is hard because. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the story, but I also really liked this movie, and I liked the way they adapted it. So, I'll, I'll go with movie on this one. Okay, I'm going to take book then. I think I like the story better. Okay. Cool. Nice. All right. Well, from here, you guys can check us live on Facebook or listen to the replay on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube by searching here and there. Or head over to the website, it's justawesome.com, all one word. And uh, whatever your preferred method is, please be sure to subscribe, like, review, all of the stuff. It really does help. And uh, James Bond here and there will return in the Roundup episode. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.